Welcome back to Trad Man, everybody. Jason, it is. I can't tell you how good it is to have you back, dog. I have yeah. missed you. Man, yes, you, it's been a while. I've been well I've been that out you, busy. I've had my highs and lows, but yeah. You had you had a like a a, a, a sore throat thing that I don't yeah. know must be going around because I kind of got it after you did. And for this past weekend, I mean, I was just I sounded like uh I sounded like Ethel Merman after she smoked ten thousand cigarettes. Well, just so. just for clarification, we 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 weren't smooching or anything, so you didn't get it from me. I just, want, I just don't want people to confuse. You know, that. Jason, this is the confessional, so <laughs> nobody needs to know. You know, no, we're 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 no, close. We're we ain't that close, bro. Yeah. Um, we have a great episode uh, on uh, for you guys today. You know, we talked before in one of our previous episodes about how we want to go through all 23 of the Eastern Catholic rites and particular churches to de- just to show you guys, like, uh, for those of you who aren't sort of initiated into Eastern Catholicism, just how big and beautiful this thing we call the Catholic Church really is. And when I first discovered it, I remember I was like, I was completely blown away. I'm still blown away because I'm always learning something new about the Eastern, uh, the Eastern churches and the spirituality of the East that continues to resonate with me. But before we get too deep into it, we're going to start off with a prayer and our two guests uh, that are joining us today, James and Heath are Byzantine Catholics from the Ruthenian, right? But if they are, they are going to uh, be very patient with me and Jason and, and pray the way we do in the Roman church, uh, just because I don't have a good Byzantine Catholic prayer book. But if you guys know of one that I should have, leave it in the comment section and I'll go buy it for next time. Uh, so let's say a quick prayer to the Holy ghost so that we can get some, uh, some wisdom, some enlightenment on this subject and that we can come to know the fullness of God's greatest revelation that he ever gave to humanity, which is the Catholic church. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Veni Sancti Spiritus, repletor da corda fidelium, et tui amoris in eis ignim accende. Imite Spiritum tuum et creabuntur. Et renovavis facem tere. Oremos. Deus qui corda fidelium, Sancti Spiritus, illustrazioni docuisti. Da nobis in iodum spiritu recta sapere, et de eos semper consolazioni gaudere, per Christum Dominum nostrum. Amen. Amen. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. James and Heath, thank you guys so much for coming on our little show. Um, James, you... Pleasure to be here. Well, let me introduce you guys one at a time so that I can... so that we can do this justice. James, um, you and I met in the green room just before this episode where you were very quick to tell me that you have published no books on this subject and you are not an expert. (laughs) Is that correct? That that is correct. I uh, I have no degree or credentials of any kind. Okay, so we'll kick him off the show. Where's the button? I think I think James is being a little bit humble from what Heath has told me about him. I think he's he's uh, that bow tie. He's knowledgeable in this, doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> that's right. James, I'm having I'm having trouble looking at the show and figuring out which one which one is me and which one is you. <laughs> Twins. You gotta yeah, you had a pints with Aquinas mug. I'm gonna, call, I'm gonna call my mom and be like, "Anything you want to tell me." <laughs> I'll be like, it's too late, mom. We met. Okay. Yep. Secrets out. I don't know, got- but but I'll, I, but half the Irishmen look 
lookalike anyway. <laughs> so, wow. <laughs> wow. All right. Hey, I'm yeah. Irish too. I'm just a brown headed Irish. You G- people. Ginger's you got no souls, people? right? We're all clones. And then uh, Heath, Heath also comes to us from the, the from the from the pews, the the, the non experted lay pews where where Jason and I, quite frankly, dwell for sure. <laughs> uh, and he also comes to us now. Both of you guys are Ruthenian right Catholics, correct? On on the way, I haven't on made the, the jump yet. Yeah, it's complicated. Okay, and we're going to get into that. I, I yeah. really do want to get into that because. Uh, one of the things that I've always loved about the Ruthenian Rite Catholic is that they're they're fully Catholic. They're fully in communion, so I could go there and receive the sacraments. It, of course, if I'm properly disposed in the state of grace, and I could go there and I could receive Holy Communion. But if I wanted to make that my parish, like that's a mission, right? That, that's it's not just a well. I'm going to fill out the card over here, and now I'm Byzantine Rite. You don't canonically change rights, but you can be a member of the parish, and that's kind oh. of the situation that I'm in. Yes, both of it's them. A, it's a little more complex because of my three children. Okay. I've been attending the Eastern Rite now off and on for 10 years. Uh, but of my three children, my youngest was born while we were members of an Eastern parish in Washington State, where, where we um, used to live. And when she was born, we had her baptized, um, chrismated, and received First Communion in the Eastern Rite, which when we moved away and went to Latin Rite parishes, and we've got this little girl who's very obviously not seven years old expecting to go forward for communion, it <laughs> created some issues sometimes. Sure. And so there was, some, there was some confusion. But my older two boys are... They still have not received confirmation yet because they were baptized Latin right, and it's we've got one foot in the east and one in the west. It's a okay. It's a mess, <laughs> but it's a beautiful mess, and it's great to be able to be canonically Latin in um, you know in an Eastern right parish. I am planning a trip with Father to the seminary in Pittsburgh probably early next year. To we've been talking about um, you know my discerning the diaconate program. So uh, I will have to write a letter to our bishop here in Houston, who Lord forgive me, but I don't know. Donardo, thank you. <laughs> um, I just moved to Houston last year. Um, oh, I'll use that as an excuse. Um, and then Bishop Gerald, you basically write a letter to both of them and explain why you want to change rights. And then, as the father, once I change right, my kids basically come along with me. And interesting, okay. yeah, you know, it's, uh, yeah, you know, just kind of off topic. I saw, I saw father the other day over at our um, our parish uh, fall festival. Oh, Father Tom. Uh huh. I saw Father Tom. Oh, over there. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I just wanted to kind of back up for a minute. You know just to talk about because Mark had talked about the fullness of the East and the West. And, you know, I, I think many Latin right Catholics through no fault of their own really aren't familiar with the Eastern rites. And I don't know that I would have been either if it wasn't for, for Heath, you know, and uh, just to say a, a quick word about Heath to kind of give our background, both me and Heath are converts, right? 
and we come from a similar background and um i consider heath one of my he's become one of my really good friends i, I feel like he's a brother in many ways and uh but anyway when <laughs> You got to be careful, Keith. When somebody <laughs> pays you a compliment, there's usually a, a double edge. Yeah, yeah so there's, there's, no, something there's, in return. There, there's something coming. No, but um, <laughs> but yeah. So so me and Heath met, and um, Heath and 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 even Mark and stuff. Um, you know, we, Heath is in the same boat that I was. We lost a lot of friends through our conversion. But as they say, God God takes and God gives. And I feel like in the friend, in many of the friends that I have since my conversion is tenfold what I had before. And I say all that because I, I met Heath through that. And if it wasn't for Heath, I don't know that I would have, at least up to this point in my, uh, you know, living my Catholic life, that I would have attended St. John Chrysostom, which is the the Byzantine Catholic Church here in Houston, because he, he was going there at the time with Father Elias. And he said, hey, why don't you come over uh, one Sunday? So we went over and... Yeah, it was it was different, but you but but it was we talked about the richness and fullness. You could just see that it was fully Catholic. You know, they they believe, you know, of course, the same things like we've mentioned in our intro, but the the, the icons and the iconostasis and and the bells the first place and the I've an icon of Our Lady of Guadalupe. And it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's yeah. incredible. And so yeah, and the, that was, and, and the cool thing about St. John Chris Chrysostom here in Houston is they have a it's a first class relic there, right, guys? That you have at uh, yeah. at the parish there, so you can actually go see a first class relic of St. John Chrysostom here in Houston and touch your scapular to it, your rosary, or whatever the case may be. But yeah, we have a a beautiful church here in Houston. So yes. I I got to say something to both Jason and Heath because uh growing up my whole life in the catholic church i never really thought much about people who convert and then like recently i had this really kind of weird crisis of faith where i was like i'm gonna have to become orthodox i just know it i, I just know that the catholic church is gonna force me into something that i that i can't go with and i'm just gonna have to end up doing this or whatever and I, I was, I, I was to the point where I told my wife, I said, we're going to go check out a Western Orthodox church. So it'll look pretty much like the Latin mass, except it won't be exactly the Roman mass, but I guess that's the best we can do. I actually told my wife that it was quite scandalous. I had to go to confession for telling my wife that, but, um, and, but I started to think about all the things I'm going to have to do when you convert how are you going to explain it to your friends? How are you going to explain it to your to your family? How are you going to? I'm going to have to write the Knights of Columbus and tell and resign being a Knight of Columbus. All my friends from the church are going to want to know what the heck is going on with Mark. So the fact that Jason and Heath did that because they loved the truth that much, I mean, it just it really impresses me. And you know, I think that's. I think God has a very big reward stored up for both well, of you. Well, Heath, uh, Heath is definitely a treasure for the Catholic Church and, and just his knowledge and all that. And and I'm not going to tell any of his personal stuff and all that, of course. But I, I'll just say that my sacrifice is compared to Heath. I I, I stand. I stand. Well, Heath, let's get into that. In real a giant. Quick. <laughs> well, let's get into that. I mean, Heath, you so you convert to the Catholic Church from 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 what? May I ask? We were in the restoration movement. What is that? I'm a little unfamiliar. 
Uh, it's 1820s is basically when it started. Um, out of this a, is like tent a, revival stuff, right? Tent yes. revival stuff, yes. Uh, kind of Presbyterian Baptist mashup, and um, yeah. there's a lot of pioneer stuff going on too. And you know, people were having a hard time getting clergy and stuff, so they kind of did an open communion. Everybody's welcome. We're gonna unite all the churches into one church, and so. It, there was this idea of unity. And then of course, over a few decades, they broke up into smaller groups themselves. And Jason and I were actually, we were part of the same movement, but we were actually in- Our church is split. Group. So <laughs> Interesting, it's, okay. It's kind of weird, because it's like, wow. before like he and I wouldn't have even had communion together, even though no. we were both about unity. But now as Catholics, we can finally. Yeah. The Catholic Church has brought us together. <laughs> so you start it's, it's out. The OG in a, restorationists. That's right. right? <laughs> so you start out in a branch of, of, of evangelical Protestantism you, that I would argue finds its origins, you know, in the United States. Like you said, yeah. the turn of the. Oh, absolutely. It does. Right. So, so you start going, you start going east. You get to, you, you go to Rome, which I know for, for those folks is you might as well be a Martian Catholic. Right. And then you keep going further East. That's interesting. How did you end up at the Byzantine Catholic church of all places? Well, it's, it's a very long story really. And before I get into it too much, James is also a convert. So I'm sure he's. Gonna... Oh, are you? Oh, I didn't okay. know that. Okay. I, I didn't know so that. The first yeah. time ever, first time ever I've, I've got one back on the shelf here. My wife and I told our story. It was uh, published in the prestigious Parish Neighbors of Spring and Klein. <laughs> <laughs> Parish Newsletter. Yeah, that's the first time we've ever like actually written it down. Uh, yeah. I've told bits and pieces on stage and in various places, um, but never tried to, you know, sort of gave an overview. And I, I really kept it short. So they're publishing it over two episodes <laughs> that's the short version right um but yeah we we've we've had quite a journey and uh, i think the most important thing is god has been there with us all the way because i'm dense and i don't <laughs> take subtle hints very well so I've had a few times when I've just openly asked, all right, God, if this is what you want, you're going to have to hit me upside the head and make it really clear. And be careful what you pray for because you yeah. just might get it. Yeah, a lot of, that a is lot of, true. A, a lot of people don't realize that many converts of the Catholic faith go fighting, kicking, and screaming because yeah. it's not something you want to do, but eventually you're convicted. You're like, what choice do I have if I want to please God? It's not like something that you really seek out. Like, oh, I want to be Catholic because among many Protestant, that, I mean, that's, that's the whore of Babylon. I mean, you yes. stay far away from it. And yep. uh, yeah, so. Kind of, that was the environment that Jason and I were in. Uh, I don't know about you, James, but, you know, okay, so I Pope is the Antichrist and all this kind of all this kind of stuff in the Whore of Babylon is the Catholic Church. And by the way, that's never concerned me when I mean, and, and I know no. people get all upset about that. You you hear what those Protestants are saying about us. And I would say, well, yeah, they're they're Protestants. Who do you think they're protesting? Islam? I don't think so. Right. Well, I mean, I guess in a sense, but. Well, I, I to try to 
swing us back here because I, I just I want to I want to put this book away too because it's kind of cluttered me over here. But some of the notes that I took, I, I, just a brief history, and and you guys, if I say anything wrong or you want to add something, just just jump in. But you know, we talk about it being the Ruthenian uh, uh, Byzantine Catholic Church. I guess here in the U.S., it's just typically called the Byzantine, but there are actually subsets to the mm-hmm. Byzantine rite, but most of them all practice the liturgy of St. John Chrysostom. Um, right. And I think I, I even read earlier uh, somewhere that the liturgy of St. John Chrysostom was actually the divine liturgy of the Church of Holy Wisdom at mm-hmm. one point. And, um, you know, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it. Uh, one thing that I found interesting, I'm like, well, how did they come up with the name Ruthenian Catholic? Where did that come from? But apparently it, it, at one point in, you know, the eighth and ninth centuries, I guess there, there was a conglomerate of people called the Russian or Rusin people who made up areas like Poland or in, in Hungary and Slovakia, Romania and Ukraine. And it, it, it wasn't until St. Cyril and is it Methodia? Yeah. Methodius. Cyril Methodius. You got it. Yeah. St. Uh, Cyril's and Methodius came in the ninth century and converted the, the Slavic people there. And that's kind of how we were. And then from there, of course, you had the great schism to which uh, they went with the with the Orthodox. But I guess around the 1600s or so, they came back into communion with the Catholic Church. Is that a is that a pretty fair assessment on the history of them, you, th- you think? That's a quick, quick and dirty. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Quick and dirty. Yep. Yeah. Basically, went. Um, we're kind of split off um, due to geography and, and politics, and then came back. Mm-hmm. Came back to Rome. Yeah. Well, so if uh, let's say let's say if there's somebody who's listening to this who has no idea what we what we've been talking about since the moment we said Ruthenian, right? If if you if I want you to imagine what you what you believe a Greek Orthodox uh, liturgy lo- or church looks like, okay? And you you walk into that and you say, okay, I'm in an I'm obviously in an Orthodox church. But what if you weren't? What if you were instead actually in a Catholic church, Ruthenian Greek they, Catholic church? The same that with all the same they they have, they have the same Pope we have. They have different bishops that govern their particular rites, but they're part of the same church as you that you can you can go to communion at their church they can go to communion in yours that's essentially what we're talking about so if you if you've never been exposed to this before you could you could walk into a ruthenian byzantine catholic church and say well this looks this looks very eastern orthodox make you a little nervous <laughs> well, te- well it, it, tell well tell me a little bit about why that might why does it look so orthodox um, because question. <laughs> the liturgical traditions developed differently. I mean, even within the Latin rite, there there are some uh, different branches of the Roman rite. Now, most of those have all been kind of folded up um, in into the rite we have now. But there's, I think, there's there's this great chart online that shows all of the you know all of the branches and the different rites. So I could be wrong in this because I'm going from memory. I was going to try to like look it up, but um, I think there's like the Gallican, the Galician, there's uh, Galician, Ambrosian, Galician, yep, uh, mo, uh, the use of Sarah, uh, Mosarabic, Mos- 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 yeah. yeah. Um, 
man, it's, yeah, there, it's, there it's, were a lot you of hear somebody say it out loud, you have no idea how to pronounce it. Like I'm, t- I'm terrible with that. Oh, <laughs> yeah, there, there, good, there were, there were a lot company. of Western so, yeah, there were yeah, a lot of Western rites in the church, and right? Even, it's, even still are to this day, but yeah, and and there's some distinctives that are not exactly different rites, like the Novus Novus Ordo and the TLM and the Charismatic movement. They they present very very differently, but one thing that all of those churches and the Byzantine Ruthenian rite, we've got uh, Ukrainian Catholic Church here in Houston as well. I think there's a, uh, there's Melkites. I think there's a Cyril Malabar parish here too. Like we've got yeah. so many rites right here in Houston. It is incredible. I think we even have an Armenian. I believe uh, so. Wow. Yeah. I don't, uh, what, what, I, I do not. Were we talking we might, about, were we talking about that Mark? Maronite and Maronite. Mm-hmm. Or, you know. Yeah. It's not often you find Armenian Catholics outside of Armenia. I mean, you can find right. Armenian Orthodox pretty much everywhere. But well, may, yeah, maybe I'm wrong on that. I, I thought we did. Um, yeah, might, might some of the right. Catholic rites are still very regional. America's weird. Um, most of these churches develop the way that they develop because of geography, because of their tradition and their history developed as a valid tradition from the other apostles. It's a valid history that they have. Um, but due to distance and uh, and language, they just kept their, they grew separately, right? But yeah. one thing that everybody has in common is you will find a picture of Pope Francis hanging usually in the, the nave or in the front of the church, maybe in the back. You'll find a picture of Pope Francis hanging somewhere. You will very clearly hear, as long as the liturgy is in a language that you understand, you will hear the prayers for our bishops and um, including and especially our Holy Father. So are, are the, at least the Ruthenian, right? Is that typically just done in the vernacular of, of the location? And has that been historically the case? As far as I'm aware, yeah, I, I think so. Um, I don't think there was, to my knowledge, and I very well could be corrected, um, but to my knowledge that um, historically there, there wasn't the issue with uh, in the Ruthenian right, there's church Slavonic is, is to the Ruthenian right what Latin is to the Roman right, basically. Um, and I church don't Slavonic was, is a very yeah. cool looking language, by the way. I can't read it, and I, but I've heard it being spoken. And I, just to look at the words, I mean, it's a very, very cool language. It's kind of similar to Russian, kind of similar to Polish, kind of similar to Ukrainian. Like there's there's some um, def- definite um, overlap. There, and they're, right? there's, and there's they're all stuff. difficult languages in their own right to learn, at least for English speakers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I don't, yeah, I don't think that there, there was really that, that problem that we have had in the West. Okay. Well, and the, and the Ruthenian church is a little different than, the, than those other Orthodox churches because and, and indeed, I think even in than many of the other Eastern Catholic rites, in that it's not a national, it's not it's not a national church like the Serbian Orthodox Church mm-hmm. looks the way it is because it is primarily for Serbians. It it comes from Serbia, even though it's Orthodox, it will look distinctly Serbian or it will look distinctly Russian or something like that. But the Ruthenian rite is sort of gets the spirituality from that Slavic region of the world, but you would it's find not people. Country. 
Right. And, yeah. and most of the people who go there necessarily are not going to be, you know, Ruthenian Slavic people. Right. Well, especially here in the U S I, I mean, I think that that's definitely the case up until from what I've heard um, from, from priests that have had, had conversations with that up until probably around the 1980s, 1990s, even, um, even that recently, it was still very uh, much populated by people of Slavic heritage. But okay. uh, after the 90s, um, we just started seeing a lot more uh, plain old Americans um, coming into the church, right? With people who are, who are attracted. Irish yeah exactly Heath Heath when you um first were exposed to the because that because we're going to talk about liturgy we and if anybody knows anything about this show we are big and heavy into liturgy we love the liturgy and the various liturgy liturgical expressions of Catholicism throughout the centuries Heath the first time you are exposed to the divine liturgy Hmm. Take us through that for a moment. I mean, had you been to you'd been to a Roman rite mass before? I'm assuming at this point, mm-hmm. right? Okay. Yeah. So the first time, the first time you're exposed to that that Ruthenian rite divine liturgy, take us walk us through that experience. I'm curious as to coming coming from your Protestant <laughs> background, that had to have been something very unique. Um, by the time I actually went to my first uh, divine liturgy, I had already been received in into the Latin church. So I was Catholic at the time. Okay. Um, while I was going through RCIA, I was also taking iconography class at St. John Chrysostom with Father Elias. And just to answer your question from earlier, coming into the church uh, in all the reading that you're just trying to digest all this new stuff, there is that phrase from uh, Pope St. John Paul II about breathing with both lungs. And so mm-hmm. I really took that very um, very much to heart. I'm, I'm a missionary kid as well. My, my folks were missionaries in West Africa. So I've always been interested in, in the different cultures and expressions of the faith. Absolutely. And I was very interested in, in how the Catholic Church was handling, you know, this kind of uh, diversity and things like that of different cultures. And so <clears throat> um, I was able to receive, you know, as, as I went, I was still a new Catholic, but um, if I could describe how I felt, I was probably, I was a little confused and I was overwhelmed and I saw a lot of reverence. And as I tried to participate, it felt like this really awesome prayer that I was just entering into almost another world. Yeah. And um, I would just say I was hooked from the very first time I went. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I can really put it into words. Mate, First thing I always notice is the smell. I walk into a Byzantine Catholic church and that incense, I mean, it just, it makes me feel like I have just crossed the threshold into some place where the living God yes. is, yeah. is present. And, you know, I, it just, it takes me into a completely different mindset. Let me, um, let, let me add just a, just a quick personal story because, um, and I don't even know if I've ever told Heath this, um, <laughs> So you talked about how some people, they, they could easily confuse. They've walked into an Orthodox church, right? 
So when Heath, when I was in my conversion process, Heath was going to the the, the Byzantine church here in Houston, right? And somebody said, "Where's uh, I haven't seen Heath in a while." And somebody said, "Yeah, I think he's kind of exploring the Orthodox Church or something over there." And at the time, I didn't know any better. I'm like, "What? I don't think he's doing that." <laughs> but but yeah, I mean, to, to your point, because of their heritage, yeah, you 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 can you know see that. Um, one thing that I do think is interesting about the Byzantine Catholic Church here. Um, the Ruthenian as well as they have talked about liturgy. They have three liturgies and I'd like to kind of discuss those a little bit more if, if you guys can, because I know you have the liturgy of St. John Chrysostom, which is the one that's mainly used. You have mm -hmm. the liturgy of St. Basil, which is used. I believe Heath had mentioned to me during the great Lent. Is, is that correct? And then you have the one of, um, is it St. James? James? Yeah. So, I mean, can you guys that's, speak, that's, I think speak that's to that? Like twice. <clears throat> Maybe I I have one of the liturgy books uh, behind me here. Although on his feast day, um, I yeah. think it's used. Yeah. yeah. Is there any major differences in them, or are they pretty similar? They're they're remarkably similar. Okay. Um, they're they're longer. I mean, yeah. even even the liturgy of John Chrysostom is typically around eighty to ninety minutes, right? Um, you're not going to find Eastern Rite Catholics who are showing up to liturgy, right? Like looking at their watches, getting ready to go watch the football game on a Sunday, right? Like that's just, they, yeah. they just don't mix because it's not the same amount of time each time, right? It, it just depends right. on what's, what's going on. But you get, I think, Heath, uh, correct me if, you, if, if this is different, but I think with St. Basil, um, you're, you're going to be like an hour and a half, maybe hour, 40 minutes, but the liturgy of St. James is like two hours. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So St. John's the short version for people with short attention spans. Right. Yeah. It's only 90 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> well, and another thing, another thing I've noticed that, um, is that liturgical postures are different in oh, yeah. the various and the various different rites of the church. Um, now, St. John Chrysostom that that is just near our house uh, where I live. Uh, Have I been saying that wrong? Is it Chrysostom? Or I've heard it both. I've heard it both ways. Yeah, so heard... you'll hear it both ways. Like a good friend of mine always would say, "John Chrysostom rhymes with awesome." And that is stuck in my head. I don't care. I don't even care if that's the wrong pronunciation. It's awesome. John Chrysostom. Anthony awesome. over at Avoiding Babylon would he would, what does he call it? St. John Chrysanthemum. Oh, <laughs> He's from New York. Shout know. out, shout out to Avoiding Babylon. Love you guys. Cousin of um, John Rhododendron. I, I, I noticed though that kneeling is not, I mean, they do have kneelers in the church. Uh, in but kneeling is not a big liturgical posture in the East. I've noticed in pews um, are relative, pews yeah. are a relative, a relatively new addition, correct as well. Yeah, right? It's it's not. Yeah. There, there has been some Latinization that's happened in, in all of the Eastern rites in America, especially. Um, and, and it can be a sore point for some people now in Washington state. Um, our, when we were attending St. George, um, and if you want to look into, you know, for those watching at home, if you want to look into a great, easy book, uh, Father Daniel Go Gordon Dozier 
who's the pastor there at St. George and Olympia, wrote a book for Catholic Answers. It's just a 20 questions on Eastern Catholicism. It's a great little, great little primer. We'll have, um, we'll have, we'll put, we'll put a link to it in the description. In what, what, what was great there is they had built, so this was one of the, Usually Eastern parishes, and I don't know how many of you visited Heath. I've had the opportunity to see, at my last job, I traveled a lot. So I've had the opportunity to visit Eastern parishes all over the U.S., and I think one even in Canada. Um, and most of them have pews because they either bought out an old church, right, or their mission parish who's meeting at a, a Latin Rite church. Um, or sometimes, and not infrequently, you'll find, like, they're literally – house churches like they'll buy a house and convert the house i've seen that um, that's also really common but the 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 what makes sense liturgically is not to have pews maybe to have some chairs for the elderly or the sick or you know children who complain about standing too long but usually you just have carpet the the chairs are around the edge and people just kind of stand in knots and then you've got standing, you've got, um, and Heath, you serve, so you probably know the terms much better than I do. You've got, you've got the small bow, a more profound bow, and then you have a full, uh, I think it's a metony where you go all the way down and, and touch the ground, or a full prostration where you're just like, uh, it, kind of similar to if you've seen Islamic prayer where they're down on, on mm -hmm. hands and knees, right? Um, that's more common. And the one thing I love about churches that don't have uh, pews is that my wife and I were just talking about this. It's great with children because the children in parishes, once you remove the pews, the kids will like, they'll like orbit around like this, like this toddler oort cloud that just, like, <laughs> you know, or like if you've ever seen children, if you've ever gone to a department store with children, not that there's many department stores left, but where they have all the clothing racks and yeah. the kids are like going in and around the clothing racks, right? But the clothing racks in this case are like families who are standing together in the liturgy and the kids are just kind of like milling about and and everybody's fine with it. It's this. Yeah. It's, it's not this disruptive. Kind of, it's no. Not, yeah. And, because and everybody's singing the whole time. There's not a lot of silence. Right. Yeah. So. And yeah, that's what I noticed about the children too. When I went, you know, I I, I guess it's just a cultural thing as far as as churches go because of course in the in the latin church you know i know myself as well of course we we kneel a lot at low mass at, at the at the latin mass and all that but but even at the novus ordo there's still a lot of kneeling and whatnot and sitting but you're you're constantly trying to get your kids to sit still and and do you know especially the young ones sit still do this and like when you pray the rosary at home you try to in a way use that as practice for sitting at least you know but yeah, when I was there, it was kind of a shocker to me because I'm over here like, okay, sit, stand right here. Don't move. And then I see other kids just kind of walking around and it's not disruptive. And it's just, you can tell that that's just the way it is. You know, that's, that, that's the way they do it. And I really thought that was awesome for the kids because yeah, like you said, kids at that age, you know, as they say, God put the wiggle in the kids, you know? So to a certain extent, <laughs> I feel like sometimes we get, I get frustrated with my kids too much during mass and I have to remind myself, okay, look, I mean, there's, there's obviously a line. I can't let them be disruptive, but at the same time, 
God has made them with this energy, you know, put this wiggle in them. I, I don't need to just completely smash it out, you know, within reason, of course. But uh, again, it's just a, I guess it's just a cultural difference in, in, in the churches. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Do you guys, do, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was, oh, I, I was just going to say, and, and the, the wiggle in the kids, that's something that is the Eastern liturgy really uh, involves adults of course too but it really involves children because there's so much you're participating you're singing you're um bowing you're constantly involved in something there are little traditions like when when father brings the the consecrated host when father brings the eucharist in a procession around up to the front there's um you know tradition of reaching forward and and touching his robe you know harkening back to you know, scripture where the woman with the hemorrhage touched mm. the robe of, of Christ and was healed. Uh, there's, oh, what's the name of the three-pronged candle? There's the there's a special candle that usually the kids will will hold during certain, they'll light and they'll extinguish and they'll hold it during certain prayers. So children are have lots of opportunities to be involved and engaged, which That's awesome. I've, I've got a child who's a little on the spectrum, right? And when we went to... Um, mass right so we we were in the latin right for about two years before we were introduced to uh, the eastern right but he just he said he hated it he had such a hard time holding still and kneeling and just could not handle it very well and now like he just kind of left it alone for a while right but he just asked not last week he said is there some kind of book where you know we can pray like on the hours like the monks do is there something like that wow that's that's awesome. like yep we're doing it buddy oh yeah <laughs> he's been leading he's been leading prayers in the morning he just comes downstairs he goes and gets the book and he just does it i'm just like that's what i'm talking about what that's what like, i'm that, talking that's about not, that's not you know i'd love to claim credit but that's not like oh that's god super parenting god. there at all that's that's me getting out of the way yeah, For and, sure. and something else that is pretty cool with the children as well is, um, if I remember correctly, at least when they read the gospel, they have the children gather around. Is it? Is that yep. correct? Correct. Yeah. Because because I, uh, when me and Heath were talking yesterday, well, well Heath, I, I'll let you speak to what it what it symbolizes. I've done a lot of lot of talking here, I'll let, but I'll let you take credit for what you said. <laughs> Oh, uh, I, one of the things I've heard is, you know, let the little children come to me, you know. And so uh, when the deacon comes up to read the the gospel, all the children will just kind of gather around. And then when the reading's done, um, pre-COVID, everyone would kiss the gospel and he'd make sure everybody had a chance. All the kids got to touch the gospel, you know, kiss it. Yeah. Now they kind of put it on their head as a blessing. And uh, yeah. it's, it's very interactive. In fact, um, to your point, I'd asked my kids before the, the show, I was like, so what do you guys like about uh, the liturgy? And one of the things they said is, is just what James was saying. It's like, you're always chanting. So, I mean, you're just like always involved. There's the, there's all these um, Lord have mercy, father, son, and Holy spirit, like all throughout. And so they kind of almost have like a, a game. They said, my kids where, where they're like, is it time yet? Is it time yet? <laughs> it like forces them to pay attention to yeah. what's going on. And well, uh, of course, all the icons everywhere, you know, there's this visual stimulation. There's so much to look the, at. The yeah. thermal. See, and the, I the, think that's the, something the, that 
you know, I think just, that's something we got wrong about the Latin church after Vatican II is yes, we began to think that active participation just means doing stuff. But I think in the East, they right. really understood, no, it's doing the ritual. That's what we want you to actively participate in. It's not As just a community. Right. We're, I mean, it's not actively participating in a rock concert that doesn't mm-hmm. do any. I mean, I'm, that's all fine for it's what it, what it, what it, it's time and place and everything but here we want you to actively participate in the right so there'll be a lot of this there'll be a lot of bowing there's a lot of chanting and and when you do that you get a real sense okay i'm actively participating in the right that's going on here it's not distracting it's not out of place it's you know nobody i don't want to go to mass because how oh, the music's really jamming you know, I don't know. Well, you yeah, know, yeah, you don't, you don't necessarily get that in the East. It's right, you know, yeah, like about thirteen hundred years old, give or take. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. and you know the the Jesus prayer. I was introduced to that, and actually, I find myself saying that a lot, even even at our Latin church when I'm going up for Holy Communion to receive. I will be saying that in my head just over and over because it's a short prayer that you can get in a good rhythm, and it really helps flush out and clear out every you know everything or, uh, around you and one thing you know we're talking about all the rituals and all that one thing that is obvious at least it was to me was you know when they would start crossing themselves you know like in the latin church we you know we go left or right well all of a sudden you notice that you're out of sync with everybody <laughs> because you know they and i actually i actually like the way that the eastern catholics do it you know they hold their three their three fingers together for the represent the trinity plus uh, you know, your other two fingers together down here represent Homo uh, yeah, yeah, God and man. Yeah, yeah and, Jesus and fully God. He came down man. to earth. You tuck them in because yep. he came down from heaven to earth. Yeah. And then they, and then they actually, if I understand right as well, they, of course, they go, they go right to left. They do the opposite, but that's actually the more ancient way that was done like like in the beginning from some things that that I have read. I mean, at the end of the day, I don't think it really matters one way or another, oh. but. But <laughs> well, I'm you just upset to, to all of our Russian listeners. I would like to apologize for my friend Jason. <laughs> well, just stepped in a land. He stepped. Well, in. You just kicked off a whole new Russian war. Well, okay? j- j- just listen. If the Russians are mad, we'll do an episode about the Russian-Ukraine war, and I'm sure I'll make them happy. But, but yeah, but you do notice. But you do notice that. I mean, because like I said, it's obvious that you're out of sync. And um, I just really think that the way that they they hold their hand posture really is a lot more uh, beautiful than the way that that we do it in, in the Latin. And I even find myself doing that sometimes. Just when I, I when know, I pass I like an Eastern Church, I'll, I'll usually make the sign of the cross in the Eastern way. I just oh, you know, they they, they say they say when in Rome. Well, I think the opposite's true as well. <laughs> <Right>. So <laughs> when, when you're in not Constantinople. In Rome, yeah. Well, I, you know, you're talking about the, the hand gestures thing and, you know, we, there's this uh, sort of liturgy war in the Western church. That's well, it was, it was solved for a while, but I guess, and we need to just rip that wide open again and let's just do it all over again for some reason because of unity. That's right. I, I remember now. Um, but anyway, in the, in, in Russia, they had a same deal back uh, the, uh, the, the Russian patriarch Nikon, he wanted to Grecoize a lot of the Russian Orthodox Church. One of the things that he did is in the Russian Orthodox Church, you used to make the sign of the cross 
the same way you would do a bl- the, the same way a bishop would do a blessing with the two fingers and and the three fingers down here. Well, Emperor Nikon or uh, the Patriarch Nikon changed that to the to the Greek way of doing it. That caused a split between what are called the old believers really? and the modern Russian Orthodox Church that continues to this day. In fact, the old saying is, if you scratch a Russian, you'll find an old believer. Hmm. So I, 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 it's just one of those things that so you, you, you're maybe, saying about how the, 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 the way you make the sign of the cross doesn't make a big deal. And I'm like, well, maybe I'm, too sim- <laughs> maybe I'm too simple minded. I just can't see that being a hill to die on. But Oh, man, it was it was a really bad thing. In fact, they, they ended up keeping Nikon's um, all of his reforms, but posthumously they excommunicated him and called him. I mean, there's all horrible things. So. Wow. Yeah, the very very interesting thing to look up the the Russian old believers. I, the Russian Orthodox Church is an interesting, multifaceted uh, smorgasbord and, of stories. <laughs> and 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 something else within the 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 Eastern churches that really draws your attention. It seems to keep your attention is when they're doing the incense because mm. you know in the Latin church when they do the incense, you'll hear the the you know the chain clacking back and forth from the swings and all that but in the eastern churches they have actual bells on there that constantly make a noise and it's not like you know sometimes people think oh man i get tired of bells ringing that ain't the case with this like it it, it adds so much to the liturgy and does help keep your attention i i would say um is there any symbolism behind the bells about why the east does it oh, and the gosh. west doesn't there's symbolism behind yeah. everything. everything. <laughs> well, it was everything. kind of a question, everything. I guess. But <laughs> right, right. I've heard it with uh, representative the apostles. Is that what you heard, James? Yeah. Uh, there's one of the there, there's different. There's the bells outside, and then there's the bells inside on on the incense. There's uh, it's it's either twelve bells with a thirteenth holder that's broken, or there's eleven with a twelfth that's broken that wow. has the chain but no bell on it, mm. which Obviously, you see exactly. Yeah. So everything has symbolism. I, I had everything. no idea about that. That's that's, that's incredible. Beautiful. Well, I, I can tell you for me, the thing that makes or breaks good liturgy is music. And when you know, obviously in the West we have Gregorian chant, which is just it it calls to the soul. And I think that if you expose yourself to Eastern Christian patrimony, the the Eastern hymns of the church. I mean, you will you will get that say something about it. It tugs at the soul almost, and it it really it makes you want to pray. Is the is the only really way I know how to put it. I mean, and and they're so different beyond you know within the different rites. Like I can go to the Melkite Divine Liturgy, and there's something distinctly. Palestinian Arabic about that, about their style of chant and things like that. And then the Ruthenian rite is the same way. And the entire liturgy from start to finish was, was chanted in that, in that incredible tone. So, um, and I, I was trying to find a way and maybe in post-production, I can add some, some Eastern church music in the background that will give you a sense of that. Um, do any of you guys participate in the choir at all, or is the whole parish basically the choir? Yes, and yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Good it's, to know. It, it's <laughs> very much there's 
the the beauty is 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 of a different kind and before becoming catholic i was actually a, a worship leader right <laughs> okay uh, in in the evangelical church so i had a hard time with liturgical music right interesting um yeah because i played guitar and I, like there, there's <laughs> either there was nowhere to be involved or when I would see someone playing guitar in mass, it was just, I don't know. If maybe if I were, if I were 30 years older, it would be, um, it would be more my jam, but it's like the church modernized in the late sixties, early seventies. And it's just, forget, it's, forgot it's to just, update anything. Tell, tell us it, about it, it. It just seems out of place. I, I, I know yeah. I've been to some later masses at least twice in my life, at least at the church, uh, by my house and they that's when they have what they call the i guess con more contemporary right. and yeah i mean i again i'm not i'm not speaking against the validity and all that of it i i don't believe it's invalid but with the guitar and stuff like that it just it does seem out of place it seems like it's, this it's, is it's this very is not very it dated to yeah. to continually just do hymns from the 70s and not and not do anything more modern i I've, I've been to one parish i probably visited close to maybe more than a hundred dioceses. Um, and, I, and I've only ever been to one parish where I think that they did it well. And, and it would be better if I looked up the name of the parish so I could tell the story better. <laughs> it, was, it was in Arizona. It was the church that where Matt Mayer started and Life Teen started, mm. right? They had guitars and drums and it knocked my socks off. Like it was reverent and it was modern. And I've never seen anything else like it anywhere but they figured out how to mix modern instruments and gregorian chant and make it work um hmm. but nobody else pulls it off <laughs> I, I, I i i will remain skeptical of your claim until see but i i will entertain the idea <laughs> because i i myself have witnessed things that i no I man should well see that. well no i mean <laughs> should hear. i, I, I I've witnessed I've witnessed formulations uh, I've witnessed incidences of the Novus Ordo that in some cases were more reverent than you know maybe a diocesan TLM but they're so rare and few and far between that I I mean right. I can I can name them on one hand and I'm not here to bash the Novus Ordo <laughs> me saying I don't want to do that I'm not I'm not the master of the church's liturgy nor should I be and I think the existence of the Eastern Catholic Church's proves what a good thing liturgical diversity actually is and 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 how well it can work um i i want to talk about icons before we yes. before we get too far away there's two things i want to talk about i want to talk about icons and i want to talk about the virgin mary but first thing i want to talk about icons um an icon i would call it a two-dimensional uh uh pictorial representation of jesus or of events in jesus or the apostles or the saints lives but they're different than you know like two-dimensional art you might find in a western parish tell us a little bit about why icons are different and what what the place they hold in eastern catholicism hmm. would be because that's there's a big a whole huge yeah there's a whole huge theology and iconography and the chance to take a couple iconography workshops with Father Elias, and he would just go so in depth. I don't know that I can remember most of it, but I, I would say, um, even the creation of the icon itself is an act of prayer. The right. uh, 
the water is holy water that's used. Um, no while it's being um, drawn or painted, that's, you know, an in-house debate there. But, you know, they make the icon and... Um, <laughs> and uh, um, but it, the icon, it, it goes from dark to light as it's as the layers come on, and that's symbolic of the light, you know, coming into the darkness. And they're 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 two dimensional. They're not meant to look realistic. They're it's meant to invoke a kind of a meditation um, and to draw you into the story or the life of the saint or what's going on there. So, um, but there's so so much about that. Yeah. This, well, so is, I, this yeah, guy I is kind of, uh, you know, an avant-garde. He was actually considered, you know, going out on the edge here when he made this one. But this is now a widely accepted icon. Yes, Andre, Andre, the Russian iconographer Andrei Rubliev painted this. Rubliev. This this is not his actual icon. This is a, like, like, like Heath was just saying, this is so widely accepted of an icon. There are almost innumerable sort of reproductions of this. But... This is one of the icons that really got me into iconography. So, and I'll just give uh, the audience kind of a quick course on what makes icons so unique and special. We're talking about how there's symbolism and everything. This is an icon of the Holy Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And you can sort of tell, and I'll use my, uh, my cursor here, so you can tell that this one is the Father because he's got the house behind him and it talks about the Father's house. Um, and... The Holy Ghost here is represented. He'll have the mountain behind him because of all the places, you know, especially in the Old Testament, that the Holy Ghost communicates on top of a mountain, Mount Sinai being one of the uh, most iconic examples. And then, of course, you have God the Son represented by the tree in the back. So that's the, the cross that he was crucified on. And what's interesting, if you look here, there's an altar in, in the middle of them. And inside this chalice, it's kind of difficult to make this out, is the head of a lamb, right? So this is the Eucharist in this chalice. But if you look at the way that the other angels face each other, the, the, the God the Father and God the Holy Spirit here form a chalice shape. And in the middle of the chalice is Jesus the Son. This is a statement about the true presence. This is just one example. I mean, if you look at all the different icons that are out there, the, the theological statements bound up in just the, the way that they have their hands, I mean, is a whole catechesis. And so, uh, yeah, and, and like Heath was saying, they're not sitting here just painting these like, you know, somebody. it's not Bob Ross, and we're going to put a happy little tree back here. <laughs> these monks are – the monks and nuns – have to get you can't just be any joe schmo and make an icon i mean i'm sure you could for like you just to see if you could do it but it's not one they're going to hang in a church you have to be an iconographer and you have to have a certain level of piety and they're sitting there praying the jesus prayer or some other you know typically eastern catholic devotion while they're painting these icons it is so incredible yeah i have i have behind me um one that my wife painted and she uses the term I think iconographic art, right? Mm -hmm. Or or um, or ecclesial art. But she specifically painted it without the the traditional gold background and without. Um, That's a really good the, job. The, the characteristic features. Yeah. Um, thank you. I, it 
it's amazing. I was married to her for 10 years and I, and heard that, you know, it was too bad she didn't have any artistic ability. And then one day she just like started crying. And this was like, she's only been painting for like, I think it's probably been in close to five years now, but this was like, she's been holding, she's been holding out on you for those 10 years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. I, I want, I want more like this. Gotta, yeah. Gotta put her to work. <laughs> That was beautiful. It, it, it has some of the, the elements, but she absolutely will not call this an icon, even though I have it next to my icon of, of St. Irenaeus up there. And I sent a couple of pictures of a couple of the major icons to Jason. It yeah. relates to them iconography up. with liturgy. They're, like when you come in, um, most um, temples, you're going to see up on up above you, like in a dome or somewhere in the middle there, the Pantocrator, which is Christ, you know, with the... Yeah. Is, this the is this the one you're looking for? That one, and that's an, another one you'll find in all of them. And this is back behind the wall of icons mm -hmm. in the very back. Um, this is... Behind the altar. Behind the altar. It's a Theotokos of the sign. And, um, you know, presenting her son... The new ark, the ark of the new covenant. You know all the symbolism there. In fact, the the building is laid out, um, sort of like um, the temple, with the iconostasis being like the veil, and back behind there being the fulfillment of the veil, which is the Eucharist. God's Christ. You know, iconostasis is like a it's it's like a yeah. Let's talk about that because wall of icons uh, yes. that separate the altar from the yeah. rest of the church. Really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, and they and, and at some point, if you've never been, they close the doors to it while uh, while the priest is um, what's the word I'm looking for? He, they stay open when he does the consecration, right? Or do they close them? That's an iconostasis from Saint Michael's Byzantine Catholic Church. Yeah, yeah. So you can see there's the door, oh, the central door, nice. right there. Yeah. But um, the the deacon will announce, you know, announce the, you know the doors, the doors, uh, be attentive, and then. Um, uh, I think I think Heath, you you serve. I don't know if if uh, I know you're paying attention to other things, but uh, do they close the doors during the consecration and uh, then open them up as they come back out? I think I think I think that that's the right order. Like they close the doors and then the doors are open. The I do know that the iconostasis and the opening and closing of the doors is representative of the the temple in Jerusalem of the curtain. You know, okay. of the veil that was torn and the iconostasis is not, even though there is still somewhat of a barrier there, it's not a complete barrier. Even with the doors closed, you can still see through. And it, in that picture of uh, uh, St. Michael's that you had up uh, yeah. earlier, pull it up, my, uh, Mark. Yeah, I'm going to pull it up. Right you can now. still see like the beautiful woodwork um, that's there. And I, um, I had some. I, I have some pictures of the iconostasis, uh, both from St. John Chrysostom and St. Basil's in, in Denver. And yeah, you can see that there are gaps, right? There are gaps and there are holes. So you're never completely closed off. It's just, you know, the mystery of, um, I don't know if we would use any other word than transubstantiation in the East, 
Well, I think one of the things I mean, that Catholic liturgies do, and 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 all all of the the really, I mean, the venerable rites have done this successfully, is you are you are going to be when you are at present at Catholic liturgy, you are going to be taken on a walking tour of salvation history. Yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna start at the Old Testament mm -hmm. and the creation of everything. We're gonna go through the the so so there there is a point just like the altar rail did in the Latin Church, where you're going to be reminded that at one point in human history, that barrier existed and it was real and you did not cross it. And then what is it that we do when we celebrate the Eucharist? We are physically, spiritually, mystically present at Calvary in which those doors, those barriers are broken down and they break down in the church for us as well. Also and heaven is present. Heaven is right. present. So where you have the saints on the wall, if you notice, they're like looking out at you. Mm -hmm. So they're inviting you to come into heaven where they are celebrating the presence mm. of Christ. Mm. So the, it's a, it's a representation of heaven coming to earth mm. in a way as well. That's beautiful. That is so beautiful. I mean, um, I mean, every, everything is done with purpose, you know? Um, yeah. And <clears throat> uh, sp speaking of the, you know, earlier I mentioned the consecration. Um, I've, you know, you, you will also notice something different in the Eastern churches where if you go to a Latin mass, of course, you're going to do what the Latins have traditionally done. You're going to approach the altar rail, kneel and receive on the tongue. <laughs> Novus Ordo is a little bit different, of course. But in the Eastern churches, at least in the in the Ruthenian, you are, you as you approach the, the priest, he will have. Uh, do y'all call it a chalice with mm -hmm. wine and leavened bread, not un unleavened, but leavened right. bread. And right. they will scoop it out with a golden spoon and, and, and you will receive that way. And then underneath you will have somebody holding, I know it's not called a towel. I know that's probably. Yeah. Like the patent. Like yeah. The pat um, the, it, any of the terms are going to be Greek. Yes. Terms, which. So the red uh, cloth, but there's a Greek yeah. name for it. Yeah, yeah. So, so <laughs> when I when I say Tau, I mean that in a, in a very respectful way. I know that's not what it's called, but my yeah. language. It, would, it wouldn't it, surprise me if it was just a Greek word for towel. <laughs> right. I mean, really. Yeah. <laughs> it wouldn't there, shock me at all. There, there's a, a good oh, view of yeah. the whole iconostasis, and of course, the icons that mm -hmm. will adorn every inch of wall spaces. If if you know, as well, not every inch, but. It's there's a lot of icons, so they're not if, just if, um, if the parish can afford to, like you know, they'll end up getting there. Yeah. Well, I I tell you, and I you know I I know that we don't promote the Orthodox <laughs> on this show, but if you ever go to a Serbian Orthodox church, man, they have I mean every available inch of wall space is covered in an icon. Um, I did want to show an interesting picture of what's behind the iconostasis. Mm -hmm. So. Let's take a look at this altar because I think one of the things that uh, that the Latin Church tried to do in the wake of the Second Vatican Council was look to the east at their altar and say, "Well, they have like a freestanding table, so their rites are older mm -hmm. than ours, so maybe that's the way we ought to be doing it, or something like that." But this is very different than I think what what they tried to do in the West. Uh, I mean, I do see a freestanding table, but talk mm -hmm. us, talk, talk us through this. Let's take a look at this and figure out why this is different. Um, well, I mean, the priest is going to be ad orientated, you know, 
he's not mm -hmm. going to stand on the other side of that table. Um, right. All sides are incensed, you know, the four corners of the earth. Um, everything is made holy. Uh, the, you know, all of earth was sanctified by Christ, um, is being sanctified. And we're participating in that sanctification. Uh, but the, all the symbolism there, I mean, you could probably just write books about it. I just don't like, know. I know, for example, the, 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 see these little thing, this little things right here that the, uh, that the acolytes will carry. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Those represent the seraphim. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. I mean, and I and I remember the the prayer before the the what we would call the sanctus, mm -hmm. where it talks about this the, all the angels and archangels, the cherubim, the seraphim, the seraphim. six six wing many eyed, yeah, singing aloft, yes, singing. <sighs> I mean, my mind was blown by, away by that. It's still blown away by that. That was the first time I remember thinking, boy, I don't know if I'd really like to see an angel. Biblically <laughs> <laughs> accurate. Well, they're yeah. always told, be not afraid. <laughs> yeah, and then you notice the very Literally first word every angel says in the Bible is don't be afraid. Right. Yeah. <laughs> You've got a I mean, bunch of eyes. To that. Yeah. Um, yeah so the other thing about from the altar that's kind of different too for the liturgy is they process. To the, to the left there, there would be a preparation table mm -hmm. where the bread is prepared. I sent Jason a, a link. Yeah, yeah let, let me pull it up here because we were kind of talking it. about communion. I know we kind of jumped back and forth. That's yeah, no, my, right. my, uh, my fault there. But uh, but yeah, but I'll pull it back. With the gospel once at the beginning for the liturgy of the word, then they process a second time with the, the elements before they're consecrated. Mm. That's It's during that time where people reach out and touch the hem of the, of the garment. Wow. Take their prayers up to the table. Symbolic mm -hmm. taking your prayers up to the so that that's the love. Mm -hmm. All all of this has symbols symbolism as well. Um, yeah, a lot of times people at the parish themselves will make the bread, and so it's a very community event, a communal event. And and, and don't sometimes they because I know I've been before where they have and they haven't, but where of course it's not consecrated bread, but where the people I guess that are making the bread they will make bread for people to take home as well is that mm -hmm. still is it i mean what what's the tradition behind that yeah titeron um there's a blessed bread that's been in there they'll they'll hand out at the end it's like bread for the journey um since covid they haven't done it there you go. right but right which is, which is unfortunate because my kids my kids have been asking <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, um but yeah so this is how this is before the whole liturgy starts the priest is up there preparing the bread he cuts it into all of these pieces for the nine orders, um, the all holy that's uh, for the blessed mother, the, the living in the dead are prayed for. A lot of times people will give lists to the priest to pray for certain people as they go up there. So as they're preparing the bread before the liturgy starts, they're, they have these names in front of them that they're praying for different individuals. And they have all these things they're saying as they cut it open. Uh, to the prayers of the saints they're inviting all of heaven into this celebration at the beginning then these pieces are are put into the chalice with the wine um after the consecration and this and this looks like so so what are we looking at here is this like uh the what was on the 
the bread after it was finished, right? Yeah. So yeah. yeah so so if you see this, I guess this is kind of the blueprint per se. And then you have. Uh, let me pull the other one back up here. And, that, and communion is received under both species, correct? That's uh, correct. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, that's what we were saying <laughs> earlier. They'll. There it is. So yeah, yep. you can see the same. Oh yeah, yeah. It's mm -hmm. it, it's all in there. But yeah, when you yeah, of course, like we mentioned earlier, when you receive, it's I don't know the proper theological term. Is it intinction or, yeah. or whatever? Yeah. Where it's where it's it, yeah, it's in the it's in the wine, and they scoop it out with the spoon. And you know, again, you never you never touch uh, the body of Christ. You know, you you. So it's a very reverent way of re, of, of receiving, and they are very. Uh, reverent, very aware of the fact of, of 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 what they're doing. So it's not like it's just lackadaisical. And and I think I, I've mentioned on the show before about one of the reasons I attend the Latin Mass. Can, the same thing can be said for the Eastern churches as well. At least the Ruthenian mm -hmm. is the way they receive. Really reiterates to you and to your children the sacredness of what you're receiving. Mm. Yeah. And, well, yeah. And, and I, I do know the Greek name for this is the, the prospera, right? Mm -hmm. the, the, the offering, the, the offering bread and right. uh, the way in which it's cut. And I don't remember the order well enough to be able to describe it here, but there's an order in which the cuts are made and each cut is a some is symbolic cut the square out the heart, the center out. And then there's a cut in the side that, that um, yes. you know symbolizes Christ's side being pierced, right? And yeah. and there at every step there's symbolism. There are prayers that are said that are specific, and and then yes, there's intinction. You have the chalice and the bread is is mixed together. Um, but one thing that's really interesting because in the West uh, during the consecration, um, the priest will will break. Uh, the host and break pieces of the host and there will be tiny fragments of the host in the chalice right mm -hmm. so they're just like tiny particles usually um but my wife has developed a terrible autoimmune response to anything wheat based it's not just gluten low gluten hosts too are just terrible right. but in the east we can actually she can be accommodated uh, she she went I think two years without being able to receive communion while we were. Oh my goodness! It, it was very. I don't want to get into it too much. Sure, it, sure. It was very difficult um, for her and and for both of us. But I, in the I east, imagine. we. I mean, if we make arrangements with Father beforehand, and we've got a couple of people at our parish who do this, he is allowed to consecrate a separate chalice without mixing both species interesting okay and, and he will bring out just the chalice it's served the same way with the spoon but it's just the precious blood um that way there's no no exposure to to wheat i know people who have gluten sensitivities and low gluten hosts are are just fine but they're uh, i think some there's some here who had something extra right yeah and that doesn't yeah. work for I've well, talked we, to i've talked to a few of those people. people and they're like the low gluten host is not that's still too much yeah yeah well uh and, and i know somewhat of the answer to it so um but why why leaven bread 
you know, because I know, I know growing up, you know, we, Heath, Heath can attest to this from our faith tradition. We did receive, mm-hmm. um, communion weekly, although symbolic, it, it was a requirement, right? We use unleavened bread because that's what Jesus used on the Passover, um, on the Passover. Yeah. So when I first heard that the East uses leavened, I was, I was curious about that. Why does the East use leaven versus unleavened? And does it does it make a difference, I guess, <laughs> it, 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 theologically, I guess? Well, there was a whole Azimite controversy over this that took place. And, oh. you know, the, the using of unleavened bread was to be a Judaizer because you were taking in the, the old rules of uh, the Jews. So, I haven't heard that before. Yeah. Interesting. There's some evidence that unleavened bread was uh, commonly used even in the early church. So, I mean, it's not, it didn't need to be a controversy, but right. there has right. been one. Yeah. But the leavened bread, the the yeast, um, of course, symbolizes the, the, the good yeast of Christ rather than the, the, the bad leaven of the Pharisees, right? right. And the rising of the bread oh, okay. symbolizes the rising of Christ and the resurrection. The, the East tends to be a little more resurrection focused. And that's yeah. like, aside from the liturgy, aside from the practices, the biggest difference that, that I see having attended both East and West is one of nuance and one of, of focus. And that's what's so beautiful about our Catholic faith. There's so much, uh, we have such a deep, rich tradition that you can validly put focus on this on the same element just like with leavened or unleavened bread and you can have a, a focus hearkening back to um to passover or looking forward to resurrection both are equally valid and there are so many choice points there throughout not only the liturgy but all of theology yes. where there are different focuses we we will have um uh, most most of the time, the the processional there's the most processional crosses. I'm not sure about ours, Heath. You've seen it up close, but a lot no. of the the eastern processional crosses will have uh, one with Jesus on one side and uh, you know, one without for the for the resurrection, or we'll have oddly enough, I saw one where you could actually remove Jesus from the corpus from the cross, right, to to symbolize the resurrection. Yeah, and. Uh, kind of tied into all all of this too, into liturgy as well. Um, we forgot the liturgy of the pre-sanctified gifts. This mm-hmm. is a, another liturgy that we actually haven't. I think in the in the West, um, like on Good Friday, there's no consecration of the host uh, in the West. That's correct, yeah, right? It? Yeah, right. And so, <clears throat> um, in the East, there's no consecration except on Sundays, which are still a celebration in Pascha or in, in Easter. Um, and so uh, during the week, usually what, Mondays or Wednesdays and Fridays, I believe, there's uh, what's called the, the liturgy of the pre-sanctified gifts. So there's extra sanctified during the liturgy on Sunday. And then there's it's just, there, this is where a lot of the prostrations are during Lent. Uh, during the service, a lot of the prayers, there's incensing of all four of the altars, along with this beautiful chant of let my prayer arise to you like incense. I mean, if you can, during your Lent, you know, take time to come to a Byzantine Catholic uh, liturgy of the pre-sanctified. Oh, my goodness. Please so, do that. 
It is so beautiful. Oh, I, well, I, I, Lent is a great time, and especially yeah. Holy Week is a yeah. great time to visit the Eastern Church. I mean, they, if you want to feel like you're there in the upper room, and I know feelings aren't everything, and I get that, but. Now, when I when I go to the Byzantine Catholic Church, I feel like I'm huddled in that upper room in first century Jerusalem, and I'm there with the apostles. You get you really do get that sense. And here's the thing: at Catholic Mass and at Catholic Divine Liturgy, we really are there. It's yeah. it's not just a, a a trick of the mind or whatever. I mean, we're mystically present at the Last Supper and at the crucifixion and. You really do get, you know, like I said, a sense of that at the Byzantine Church, and not to say that you don't at the West, but it's a great, I, it's a great well, time to visit. I'll just put it to you that way. Well, as me and Heath have talked, and I am in nowhere capable of talking about it, but the East and West have a different spirituality, and James was mm-hmm. speaking to that to a certain extent as well. Um, speaking of liturgy, I meant to ask this earlier, and since since you brought that up. I've noticed in the past uh, that I was like, well, I'd like to, you know, I went to mass on Sunday with my family to the, to our Latin mass. And um, I'm like, you know, maybe this week for daily mass, I'll go to the, to St. John Chrysostom, but I don't ever really see weekly mass at the Eastern churches. And this may be stupid. What I'm about to say, so correct me if it's wrong, but what I have at least been told is one reason they don't have weekly mass is because in the Eastern church, they the priests are allowed to marry so for people that don't know the the eastern priests are allowed to marry so hearkening back again to the old testament and the priests where they had to abstain from marital relations before their service at the temple the same concept is is there so in the west we can have daily mass every day because our priests are 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 not married and they don't engage in the marital act so they are ape they were always prepared in that sense, interesting. To I never offer knew mass, that. where in yep. the east, they they have to at least abstain from the marital act on Saturday, so they are prepared to offer divine liturgy on Sunday. Is that is that a- actually accurate, yep. or is there more to it? Yeah, correct. Wow. Yeah, and I mean, there's there's probably there's probably more to it as well too, and it may just be, um, you know, history because I don't I don't know, like. Father Elias wasn't offering liturgy, daily liturgy before, was he? I mean, I don't know. So there, I mean, there would be special feast days during the week. Yeah, no, but but that's, but it's just not, it just wasn't the practice of the East to have, to have daily mass. There wasn't, there isn't the requirement for priests to celebrate uh, either privately or publicly on a, on a daily basis. It just didn't, just didn't develop. We have, we have a different code of canon law, and um, there there are just some slight differences there. That's so interesting. I never I never would have thought about that, but I do think yeah. I well, here's what I like about the Eastern and the Western Church together. I think fulfill a complementarity of you know, like we we're talking about the whole of salvation history it, it is. It's Old Testament and New Testament. You really can't do one without the other. And so I think the East and West spiritualities, when you, t- when you take them together, really do give a sense of complementarity. Christ's human nature, Christ's divine nature, the Old Testament and the New Testament. We were mm-hmm. once separated, and now we are perfectly united to Christ uh, by virtue of his sacrifice on Calvary. And 
I, I that's always what like just blown me away as as to how how the Eastern Church opened that up for me. Um, and it still does to this very day. I'm constantly finding out new things about Eastern rites and things that help me illuminate what's going on in the Western Church. Believe it or not, I I, I see um, I see parallels and through you know both in history and in terms of liturgical development. So I, I, if you've never been to one, and I think the Ruthenian Catholic rite is the easiest to find a parish at least it's been that way in my experience in 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 the u.s i i'm pretty certain that we're the largest and there's like i don't know a few thousand you know of us you know there's there's a handful there's not parishes in every state um a a good friend of mine who is is finishing up a diaconate program he is in a position where even though he's ruthenian the only parish that's available to him is a Melkite parish. So he's got to get both bishops to talk to each other and like figure out how to get him ordained and get him serving there because he can't move. Um, so it, yeah, it's, it, it can be, it can be challenging. It's not going to be available. It's not going to be an option for, for everyone. And people do drive quite a ways out of the way. I've been fortunate um, to have lived very close to Ruthenian parishes at multiple places that I've lived. It's just like, I don't know. It's probably just a God thing. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. Sorry. No, no, go ahead. I interrupt you. Go ahead. Oh, oh I, I was just going to say that the, the interesting thing about liturgy is that our faith is so massive and deep, like the ocean, right? You can just keep going and going and feel like you've never explored it all that there isn't it's made me realize because i had a problem with um i had a struggle with the novus novus ordo for a while myself and and thanks be to god um i got over my stubbornness right but one one of the things that that has um that i've seen in participating in different liturgies is that there isn't one liturgy that is even capable of capturing it all. And so there are different shades and there are different things that God has to reveal to us each individually and to different groups of people and throughout different times um, that, that, yeah, that aren't just captured by one liturgy. That's mm-hmm. why I, I love having variety in the liturgy because it, yeah, it, it just, it just highlights the depth and the breadth of the church. Absolutely. Absolutely. I feel like that's why God told Noah to go out and fill up the earth. You know, you have all your different cultures and they all express, you know, different aspects of this thing that all of humanity together can't even express. That's a good point. And, and, you know, sometimes we get stuck in our culture, (laughs) especially as Americans, we're, we're modern day Americans are quite guilty of this. You know, I've noticed that, you know, with my job because I travel internationally that, that we kind of get stuck in what we think sh- the way things should be done. And, and if it's not, this is weird or it's wrong. And it's a hard mindset to overcome. But I think we have that mindset some to, sometimes, too, at least in the West of the liturgies. We're like, this is the liturgy and this is it, you know, uh, the, the, the Latin liturgy. And, it, and it's not because um, – like you were saying, James, it just, when you go to these other liturgies, you see that, Hey, there, there is a lot more 
uh, out there in a good way that God has revealed to us through the liturgy because the liturgy teaches, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, you, you you talk about some of the Marian dogmas and some of the justifications for them was the fact that there was early liturgies, you know, uh, mm-hmm. like talk about the assumption, you know, I think fourth, fifth centuries, they can go far back and find there were uh, uh, liturgies for the dormation of the Virgin Mary or mm-hmm. the assumption, whatever, whatever you want to call it. So, so the, the, the liturgy speaks to the faith of the church as well. And that teaches us the faith. And that's why it's important, especially with children. And I know I harp on this on this show sometimes. That's why it's important for our kids to see good liturgy. Yeah, yeah man. Here, here. Yeah. I mean, going well, and my last point, you know, we're coming up on an hour and a half and this is a good place to sort of wind everything down is if you want to go to a Catholic parish where they're going to talk about the Blessed Virgin Mary, <laughs> go to a Byzantine Catholic is. parish. Oh, my gosh. I mean, yeah. I remember the first time I heard in the in in, in the great litany, the, the great litany closes with calling calling to mind our most holy, most pure, most blessed and glorious lady, the mother of God and ever Virgin Mary. And let us commend ourselves and one another and our whole lives unto Christ, our God. Mm -hmm. Boy, I tell you what, I was like, I'm with these people. (laughs) These guys get it. Whatever they're about. (laughs) Tell me about the role that the, I mean, because you really can't overstate it the role that the Virgin Mary plays in Eastern Christian spirituality. It's it. I can tell you it is a bigger role than she plays even in. The oh West. yeah. No well, 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 the icon you showed earlier is <clears throat> like, a, that pretty much says it all. And which is good because icons say a lot more than you can easily say in words. Right. But it's <coughs> right there behind the, you have Mary right there behind the ar- altar and in, in the center of the parish is Mary, and in the center of Mary is Jesus Christ. Yeah. And she is the one who brings him to us. She yeah. is the reason that we are able to have him and have a relationship with God. And that that is just like is so central to the liturgy of, of St. John Chrysostom. And it's I don't want to go down a rabbit trail, but it's funny when I hear um you know, people will, will say it like, or even Orthodox or people who aren't Orthodox will say that, well, Catholics have all these doctrines about Mary. I'm like, dude, <laughs> we, you don't, you don't even understand. Like you're more Mary. Like if you're talking to a Western, right? A Latin, right? Catholic, you're more Marian even than the Latin, right? Catholic with the dogmas, right? Oh, I had I an Orthodox really disagree on them anyway. I had a but. Russian Orthodox priest ask me one time because I went to look at some of the icons that he had in his basement. Now this was actually a really oh, tell cool that story. story. Yeah, tell that. Story. Well, I I was I was taking an art appreciation class <laughs> at my undergraduate uh, institution, Loyola University in Chicago. Go Ramblers! Um, and I decided I wanted to look. They they had this Russian Orthodox church outside Russia, which is not the same as the Russian Orthodox church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everybody's <laughs> everybody's in schism over there, over in the east. But anyway, um, they had this church in Chicago, and I went to visit because I wanted to look at the icons. And the priest, he says, hey, if you want to see some really cool icons, come into the basement. Let me show you what we got. <laughs> We go down into the basement and he had just stacks of icons that were liberated from the communists oh, wow. and made their way to Chicago. 
And he was wow. telling me, he was telling me we've repatriated some of them, but there are some of them I will never let go of. <laughs> and, and I, and I got to see some of them. Some of them were so, they looked like the surface of this iPhone. You couldn't even see the icon because they were just black with soot. Yes. From just generations of incense. And if you yeah. looked really closely, you could see an image of our Lord. But I had this, this same Orthodox priest. He once asked me, he says, you know, I understand you guys over in the Latin church. Um, you've got the statues of the saints and everything. And he says, I get that, but how you could ever make a statue of our Lord or our lady, how, how you could ever make a, uh, it, it, the statues, they're so sexually voluptuous. Why would you do that? That was his thing. His thing was that three dimensional statues are not appropriate because they're too sexually voluptuous. And, but he just could not fathom how <laughs> we would dare to make a statue of the Virgin. I mean, such was their level of respect and love for the mother of God that you make only icons of her, you know, <laughs> I just thought that was kind of an interesting, interesting takeaway that, 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 then, that was the thing that bothered him. And then you have those who say you make nothing <laughs> of the Virgin oh, Mary or God. Right. Yeah. Or, <laughs> or God. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But no, um, I, 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 have always been just really impressed with the way that the Eastern churches treat our lady and give her just that, that respect that I believe is due yeah. to, to the mother of God who prays for us every day. So, yeah, I would just want to say here uh, to close too, it's just like, you're welcome to come anytime. Come check it out. It's so hard to explain it. Like in words, it's something you almost just have to experience. Absolutely. And, and if you're a Catholic, come on in and you can receive and it's it could fulfill your obligation and all that kind of stuff, you know. And, and if you're not a Catholic, come on warm. in, but don't don't go to communion, but just right. yeah, walk come on in and 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 talk to some people. Well, well, exactly. yeah, and and you know, there is actually we could go on for hours talking about just this one right within the church. I think we highlighted the major points and we didn't even get into the philoquake controversy yeah. filial quay controversy right. i mean we could right. solve it tonight if you guys want <laughs> but, <laughs> but but no i mean one of the cool things too is you know obviously that was part of the great schism well when they when they came in communion with the with the uh, with rome they were they were not forced in, in, in putting the filial quay into their their creed correct so so when i when i've been yeah, there that's that is that is absent um but with but with that aside like i said i mean there there is so much that we could talk about we haven't even touched the surface and if you're interested in it do like he said the uh visit uh ruthenian or as we call them in the u.s mainly the byzantine catholic church churches i, I know they're not everywhere but there are still quite a few of them so yeah ch check it out yeah James. you may have to ask around we we it's getting better, but we do tend to be Catholics tend to be terrible with technology. We tend to be like 20 years behind and the, the Eastern rites are about another 20 years behind that in many cases. So you may go to our mic page. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Did you say MySpace? <laughs> <laughs> Tom is not going to be happy with this. 
<laughs> I was just I was just lamenting on the last episode I did where we I was talking about the 60 year anniversary of the Second Vatican Council, and I was just saying that Inter Mirifica, which is the Second Vatican Council's document on engagement with social media or not social media, social communication, media. yeah, mass right. media. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I thought, you know, it's because it, my, my deal is it's not that I have a beef with Vatican II necessarily, but it's just that the world's evolved beyond 1965 a little bit. I mean, and in here, in Inter Mirifica, in this document that is the Second Vatican Council's statement on how the Catholic Church engages with media in the modern world, the word Internet literally doesn't appear. And why mm-hmm. the heck would it? It's in right. 1965. Can you imagine trying to dis- trying to talk about what media means in 2022 and not using the word internet? I don't even know how you would do that. So that that was yeah. an interesting thing that I brought up in my last episode. But um, no, I, I I I know what you mean. Catholics are getting better at it, and actually, I've noticed that uh, if you Google Byzantine Catholic Church and then your area you'll typically come up with something. I mean, Google Maps has usually got a pretty good... We've practically blown up online, I mean, comparatively speaking, over the last five to seven years, I think. Uh, St. John Chrysostom, our website is is decent and it's up actually updated which is the biggest thing um <laughs> i'll put a link in the description for those yeah, of you from yeah. the houston area um <coughs> yeah we we stream live every sunday um and there are are other parishes that that stream live on sunday as well too um uh there's uh father thomas Loya's uh uh parish um says annunciation i think he's got the light of the east podcast right so we're we're starting to make some traction and there are some um notable people who are kind of like coming east as well too trent horn goes to st basil uh matt frad um like lofton uh, was mentioned earlier and um so there's yeah there's there's an attraction and it's getting it's getting people interested i think that i've been saying this for a while but i think that the eastern rites are perfectly positioned for the new evangelization in a way that has an advantage over the West in a way that the West does not, because we're a little bit more out of step or different. It does make people who have left the church or who have never been Catholic. um, It it makes people curious. It's like, Oh, what is this? This is different. What is this? Well, your, your hierarchy isn't infested with modernists that are dug in like ticks. That's a huge step in, in the right direction. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It helps. Uh, I I do know that if there's an Eastern parish nearby, like no matter if I'm chatting with somebody online, you know, on the other side of the country, I'm confident that if they have an Eastern right parish nearby, I can tell them to go there and ask father, and ask somebody to to guide them and i'm i'm pretty confident that that will go just fine it's not unfortunately that's not not always the case with the um well i know that the orthodox i know that the orthodox are making making gains amongst young people um and i think it's i think the only reason we're not seeing that from the byzantine catholics is just exposure i think that's literally what We're it small. is and hopefully if we can if, if god can look past our uh deficiencies and use this little podcast to reach somebody who's interested then uh that will have been a good day 
Amen. James Heath, I want to thank you guys so much. It's an hour and 30 minutes and I've got to go to bed for sure. Cause uh, mm-hmm. I got a big day tomorrow, but I want to thank you guys for coming on the show with us and talking about this with us and be assured of our prayers. And hopefully you guys will continue to pray for us. Uh, Jason, any last thoughts? No, just uh, thank you, James and Heath. I, I appreciate y'all's time and insight. Um, me and Mark were going to try to do this episode by ourselves, but I don't think it would have been as rich oh, and as, have been, yeah. <laughs> it been as good without without you guys and your insight from sitting in the pews from Sunday to Sunday, whereas we go occasionally. <laughs> yeah, and hopefully we can have you guys back on to you know, talk about maybe some other topics or something like that. We're big on having repeat guests. So. Thanks, yeah, I would love to. Thank you so much. Our our bench our bench is not that deep, James. I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> But I want to thank I want to thank everybody for joining us, and definitely thanks James and Heath. And I want to thank my co-host Jason for coming back to me, man. I had to do that 60th anniversary of Vatican II episode, and I hated doing it by myself. Well, well, I, I had to do a lot of praying because I was like, I don't know if I like Mark anymore. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> no, I'll, no, I'll I, be I, honest. I'm impressed that it, that you waited a year before figuring that, that out. Yeah, because most people get to that point in like two or three months. So no, no, like you said, I I I had a throat issues when you did that, and then before that, I'd been traveling and just you know, I mean, we've mentioned before, we're just two lay people with families yeah, and jobs. Life gets in the way. Gets in the way sometimes, but we do the best we can. Y'all need to send us some. Y'all need to go buy some merch. Link in the description so Jason and I can quit our jobs and do this full time. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, guys, for coming on. And remember, I like I always say, life is hard, but it's harder when you don't pray the rosary. God bless everybody. God bless.